listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show set out to bring you news, interesting topics and interviews with people mostly from Europe, building bridges and breaking down language barriers to show the world how active and awesome the skeptical movement is in the region. This is episode 392. I'm your host, Annika Harrison, and with me is my co-host, Pontus Bergmann. Hallo! Hey son, hey son! How are you, Annika? Good. Yeah, great. <laughs> I just want the heat to stop. <laughs> oh, it's it's still hot. It's still hot in in Germany, and ah. I'm over it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, because still in Sweden, or well, I think in Sweden in general, we've had some very big rainfalls a couple of weeks ago. But mm -hmm. uh, this is a normal summer for us, so I don't mm. know what the fuss is all about. Oh, I, I I know what the fuss <laughs> is all about. I'm just kidding. All right, so we're missing Andras today. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. That's too bad. But he has he has a job. He has a life. Yeah. So he can't he always make it, as <laughs> you know. People mm -hmm. know that. Uh, but he will make it to QED, and mm -hmm. I can announce that he and me and Claire Klingenberg have mm -hmm. all been accepted for the Skepticamp talks that awesome. will happen on the Friday of the 22nd of September just the day before the for the, the mm -hmm. real QED started the official yes yeah so so if people don't know this is the 10 minutes quick talks and then there's five minutes for maybe one or two questions and changing to the next speaker so it's very very ch -ch -ch -ch. it's always fantastic mm -hmm. uh, to see it And it's also even more fantastic to be part of it. So um, mm -hmm. we got all got approved. Awesome. There will be 16 talks in total. It starts at 11 in the morning and ends around 4 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And uh, I can tell you what, what we're going to talk about. Andras' talk is called Survival of the Thickest. I love that title. Being that, a, yeah, it's like and the, the Netflix show, isn't it? <laughs> yes, <laughs> and the un, the subtitle is "Being a skeptic in a country maddened by propaganda," and I think we all know what country he's referring to there. He's he, mm -hmm. well, he lives in Hungary. Uh, Claire is going to talk about the safety of skeptical activism, and actually, as an insider, I can tell you it's not about how safe it is; it's about how unsafe it can be sometimes. Mm -hmm. A very serious topic. My topic is called "What the F? A Letter from the Past," and this is something that I'm already getting to be a little bit nervous about because mm -hmm. this is a real hit and miss. I might die on that stage because uh -oh. <laughs> that this is a topic way beyond what I usually do. But hopefully, hopefully, way beyond your pay grade. <laughs> well, I yes, I mean, you can cut my my salary in half, and it wouldn't. <laughs> Zero divided by <laughs> half doesn't do a lot. So I'm, I'm very excited about it. I really hope I can make something out of it. Otherwise, I can tell you it's only 10 minutes. You just have to endure and wait for the next good speech. <laughs> so um, no worries there. But it's going to be fun. And of course, we're already packing our bags for, for QED. But we've talked about that many times. Yeah, that we are excited. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, we are. Yeah, and something I'm also excited for is that we can now nominate people for Das Goldene Brett, the golden board in front of your head. We will put the link to that in the show notes. Uh, you can it's it's a negative prize that the skeptics from Vienna give out to people or organizations that basically use pseudoscience to make either money or reputation or influence. 
Yeah, or, Although, or, or just refuse to, to realize that they're wrong. Exactly. Mm. So you can nominate until the 20th of September. And yeah, I would be happy for people doing so. <laughs> yeah, and we will leave the link in the show notes for mm -hmm. everybody. So, yeah. yeah. Perfect. Good. Anything else? Or should we dive into it? I would say we dive right into Twish. Although there's no Andras here, we have a Pontus. So, Pontus, do we have a Twish? Yes, we do. I will be your Andras for tonight. Yay! <laughs> yes, and I will talk about the 25th of August, 1835, which has been argued was the first real big fake news. It's a long time ago, but uh, it happened already way back then. Uh, we take, of course, fake news pretty much for granted nowadays. We know that it's a phenomenon that you have to look out for, and it happens all the time. But ever since the printing press was invented, people have been manipulating the news flow for their mm -hmm. own gains or purposes or advances. And this very early example happened, as I said, 25th of August, 1835. This was the date when the New York newspaper called The Sun, not to be confused by any other newspaper by the same name, published the first of a series of articles about new amazing astronomical discoveries. Ooh. Yeah, because they claimed that the British astronomer Sir John Herschel had made astonishing new progress in developing a new, brand new telescope based on, quote, an entirely new principle, end quote. They, mm. were, they were a little <laughs> bit more specific in that because they said that the new telescope was, it was huge, it was enormous. It was uh, said to measure 24 feet in diameter in um, current currency it, that's about seven meters it was equipped with a quote hydro oxygen microscope end quote i don't know what a microscope is doing on a telescope but uh, there you go <laughs> this contraption was said to enlarge and amplify the image before it was then projected onto a canvas mm -hmm. and you could use it to look into space obviously in these articles that were printed on the front page over six days consecutively, The Sun described how Herschel, thanks to his brand new telescope, had observed mm -hmm. planets in alien solar systems, new comets, and also made very new detailed observations of the moon. Every day, the claims became more and more outrageous. First, uh, there was vegetation and strange two-legged beavers, quote-unquote, okay. uh, seen in this telescope. <laughs> Later, there were reports of intelligent life consisting of winged bat-like people called... They even gave it a Latin name on this new species. They call it Vespertilio Homo. Don't know exactly what that means, but... Something anyway. with humans, maybe? <laughs> I don't know. Homo, I know. But Vespertilio, I, I don't know. It was. I'm, I'm guessing this was to get it to sound more scientific. Mm -hmm. This Vespertilio Homo was reportedly seen conversing in a civilized manner, end quote. And uh, they also had apparently constructed a magnificent sapphire temple. No more details on that. These... <laughs> So, Sounds outlandish enough, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was uh, very much so. <laughs> they, they were also accompanied by uh, very elaborate illustrations, so you could see, sort of see it yourself. Of course, obviously, it wasn't photographs. So these new revelations received a lot of attentions, obviously, mm -hmm. and they were both celebrated in, by some and then questioned by others. Other newspapers didn't like the attention that The Sun got, 
so they they criticized it. But some other newspapers republished the series of articles. And uh, the whole thing reportedly became a topic of conversation all through the late summer and autumn of 1835. First, of course, in the US, but also in Europe, very much so, because Mm -hmm. we must remember that the astronomer was a, he was Scottish, actually. The main criticism, though, came from uh, the Sun's biggest competitor and rival, the New York Herald. And the New York Herald's publisher, James Gordon Bennett, criticized the Sun very aggressively, calling the newspaper insolent, unprincipled, and a fraud, end quote. So this Scottish guy, the astronomer, Sir John Herschel, what did he think about all of this? Because he wasn't in on this. He was a real person. He was famous at the time. And um, he was supposedly behind these incredible findings. At first, he didn't comment too much on this. But a couple of years later, he was heard complaining that he kept being bombarded with inquiries from all around the world about the wonderful things that he supposedly had discovered. And of course, it was all nonsense. The newspaper The Sun never admitted that the whole thing was a hoax. Instead, they used uh, their, for the time, very modern steam-powered printing press and produced and sold about 60,000 copies of a special edition that reproduced the whole entire series of articles. And it sold for just a penny a piece. So it sounds like a bad business, but it was, in fact... Since it was so efficient to print this, it probably cost almost nothing to print this special edition. They made a lot of money on it. And Mm -hmm. uh, if you can find a copy, Annika, of one of these, they (laughs) are now collector's items, very valuable. But if you don't do that, you could also go online and you can see, especially you can see the pictures that were accompanying these articles. And uh, the whole thing goes to show that perhaps it's just in our human nature (laughs) to spread fantastic stories if you can get away with it. And it's not something that started with internet, even if we sometimes think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. awesome. That reminds me of the Turin... The Shroud of Turin? The Shroud, yeah. If I remember correctly, then that was also a bit of a hoax that it would be like the original thing. And that didn't come around this century. No, so. no. It was, I think, from, from the 1200s or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So it was, or 1300s, maybe. I don't know. It's, it's a, that was also well before the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. We don't, you don't need the internet for that. <laughs> no. Yeah. So thank you, Pontus, for, for twishing us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. My pleasure. And, <laughs> And now I want to find out if Pontus also has the pleasure to poke the Pope this week. I think we'll skip the Pope for this week. He hasn't been up too much, I think. And um, we should go on to to more important stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's do that then. Which means we are jumping right into the news. And we said we wanted to talk about something more pressing and more important. So, of course, I want to talk about asparagus. Yes. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) Sorry, I'm giggling about that, but it is pretty. Like, this is one of the things where I find it super funny to talk about. Uh, It's just asparagus, you know, something I quite enjoy eating. But why am I talking about this? There is a psychic in the UK claiming that she can foresee the future using asparagus. Hmm. Why not? Yes. So Jemima Packington, who is 66, lovely name, by the way. 
Mm, I love it. Yeah, me too. She said the final will be decided the worst way possible. That is on penalties. And I'm, of course, talking about the Women Football World Cup. Soccer for you yes. Americans. Yeah. <laughs> she said that the Lionesses, so the British team, would win the World Cup. She could make that claim by using her asparagus. She is the world's only asparamancer, as <laughs> she calls it. Thank God for that. <laughs> and she can gaze into the future by tossing the asparagus into the air and then interpreting how it lands. Mm. She also has predicted Brexit, the Queen's death, and Harry and Meghan quitting the royal family. Oh. Um, I would say Brexit did, did, uh, and the Queen's death also did. But mm. it's also something like, well, you have something who is pretty old and, and not super uh, fit in health. It doesn't take asparagus to think that there could be a death coming. No, I don't think the asparagus <laughs> has nothing to do with it. I don't use them to think. No. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so she revealed her top tips at the end of last year, actually, for the World Cup in Australia. Mm -hmm. But as we know now, the Lionesses didn't win on penalties. <laughs> so quite <laughs> they actually the contrary, lost actually. quite fair exactly. and square. They lost and it wasn't penalties. <laughs> yeah. So sorry, Jemima. As I said, I love your name, but I don't love your asparagus tossing. But you can continue that as long as you still eat the asparagus. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is an, a variant of an old thing that mm -hmm. that's centuries old, where you throw bones yeah, or something in, or bones, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. and they and they land in, mm -hmm. and you, you try to interpret yeah. the, the pattern yeah. of how they are, yeah. Uh, falling to the ground. That's actually, huh. yeah, that's definitely something I've heard of. So it probably works, but not with asparagus, no. Who knows? Who knows? I will <laughs> probably guess it will, will never work, but hey, hmm. asparagus it out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's an old hat, in, if you will. And we've talked about uh, other old hats in the past. We Not too long ago, we mentioned the Loch Ness monster. Mm hmm. And uh, we mentioned specifically the, the search after Nessie that will mm -hmm. happen this coming weekend, actually, mm -hmm. 26th to 27th of August, with uh, lots of drones flying over the lock and with lots of people on the side trying, standing, looking with binoculars and stuff. Mm -hmm. And also there was a sonar device going on at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we also said we were not very happy with it because it's not just because it's a waste of time and effort and resources, but also it could be very disturbing to the beautiful surroundings, the nature there and the wildlife that actually lives there. But apparently we're not the only ones being concerned here. We now read in the Scottish Sun, not to mm. be confused with the other paper called The Sun that we mentioned earlier, the Scottish Sun says, uh, quote, there is urgent warning as extensive Loch Ness monster search could stir up a whirlpool of evil, end quote. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so it's not just the wildlife they are, they are concerned about. They have been talking to a paranormal investigator, self-employed, I guess, called <laughs> Ron Halliday. And he says that he has been investigating the paranormal for 30 years. So I guess he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Bit of an expert. <laughs> Bit of an expert, must be. He has books, to his credit, among them such blockbusters as, quote, the A to Z of Paranormal Scotland, end quote, and also Scotland's X-Files. 
That's a book he wrote. I haven't read them. I can't recommend them or mm -hmm. say that they're any bad either. So we don't know. But he wants the whole search of, after Nessie to be called off because he's afraid that the plans could backfire. And he says, quote, I'm not convinced this search is a good idea. We could be stirring up a whirlpool of evil, end quote. <laughs> so that's where they got the header for the article. Mm -hmm. He goes on to say, the truth is there is little evidence that we're dealing with a flesh and blood creature. And I kind of agree with him so far. But then he goes on to say, it's more likely that the loch is home to an unknown spirit form, end quote. That reminds me of H.P. Lovecraft. Am I the only one? <laughs> 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 oh boy. Um, <laughs> there is, of course, also Paul Nixon, who is the general manager of the Loch Ness Center. And he is uh, not deterred by this possible complication. So he says the search will go on as planned. Halliday does not appreciate that. He goes on to say, quote, I suggest this project be called off, or at the very least, there's some psychic protection for anyone involved, end quote. So this is what grown-up people are concerned with in 2023. A monster who no one has seen <laughs> that may or may not be a, quote, unknown spirit form or a whirlpool of evil. And this might require people to get, quote, psychic protection, end quote. Astonished. Astonished that this is going on. Mm-hmm. We will see. We will, of course, report what will happen in this great search. And next week, if they found Nessie, we will, of course, apologize for our skepticism. But I wouldn't <laughs> hold my breath. No, me neither. <laughs> I want to talk about someone who has been spotted wearing something almost like a psychic protection. Not really, but she was wearing an anti-stress patch. And I'm, mm -hmm. of course, talking about Meghan Markle, who has been seen close to her home in Montecito in the US. And she has been seen wearing this sticker, helping against stress. That's, that's at least the claim of, that the company does. It, it looks like a sticker, but it's apparently a $4 gadget designed to send calming signals to the brain which the Duchess of Sussex apparently needs. Mm -hmm. But we wouldn't be skeptics if we wouldn't look a bit further than there. So there's this company that claims that the products are clinically proven to reduce st stress and improve sleep. And of course, that's always like if we see a sticker, <laughs> it's also claiming that it would reduce the effects of um, insomnia, uh, like a 20 hours of sleep within 20 minutes. The outlandish claims are always something where I'm, hmm, my skeptical mm. alarm bells are ringing. Um, these patches, they are sold in packs of 20 or 100. So if you do the math. 100? Mm -hmm, if you do the math, then. Um, How stressed can you be? I mean, <laughs> well, I would be stressed if I paid $400 for a bunch of stickers. Well, maybe you have to put it on other, other spots, not only on the pericardium six acupuncture point which is uh, oh. three fingers below the left wrist. Apparently, three this is a, a location oh. that is directly connected to the heart, according to TCM, where we apparently are also meddling oh, into. traditional Chinese medicine. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. So mm. you have to put them on your wrist, but um, they also the company also says if your skin gets irritated by it, you can also put it on your shoulder blade or on your foot. <laughs> Don't you have skin there as well? Mm. 
no, it could no, no. be if it, if it irritates your skin, it doesn't matter where you put it on. In this uh, what patch, do I know? there's a yeah, exactly. Who who are we to ask? <laughs> yeah, but uh, it apparently contains a tiny Tesla coil. Oh, and emits yes. waves mimicking the natural frequencies of neurotransmitters in the body, such as gamma aminobutyric acid, GABA, or GABA, and L-theanine. <laughs> I'm not a biologist. I can't confirm that. That's um, probably the only scientific <laughs> words in the whole article, I think. Yeah, but um, I know that like my, my colleague, Holm Hümmler, he always says pseudoscientists love using scientific words to, to like spice up their claims. He mm. does that a lot with quantum physics, mm. where the, everything is quantum. But here it's apparently not quantum, but neurotransmitters, blah, blah, blah. Well, of course, we have to think about pseudoscience if, if they claim that you have the benefits of two hours of sleep in just 20 minutes if you wear that patch and that the patch activates the body's internal gabaritic system. <laughs> yes, that's a, that's a word. And that uh, would regulate your anxiety, your memory, and your muscle tension, and so on and so on. Apparently, they would also slow brainwave frequency, and so on and so on. So, like, really awesome claims. But as we know, if the claims are too good, they're usually not there. <laughs> yeah. The science is also weak behind yeah. that so like uh, surprising uh, of course <clears throat> not surprising there's pretty pretty weak support you can uh, say maybe there's a bit of placebo effect involved but that's basically it i mean i wish the the duchess of sussex all the best sure. on, on her mental health journey but it would still be good if she wouldn't follow in her father-in-law's footstep in that regard so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right dangerous family to marry into i it, I think it sounds it's very popular I believe uh, the the whole notion of putting something on your skin mm -hmm. a, a patch or something we have uh, Djokovic what's his name no Novak Novak Djokovic mm -hmm. he he has uh, recently we've talked about it he had some sort of uh, magical patch that he actually said uh, without that I would not become as I wouldn't have won as many tournaments mm -hmm. as I have yeah so very popular I wonder about the Tesla coil, though. For $4, you'll get a piece of paper that's supposed to <laughs> include a tiny, tiny, tiny Tesla coil. That's that has a testable been developed for 20 years, hey? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> that's a testable claim. I wonder if we could buy one of those and dissect it and see if we can find this We should magic, totally do that. <laughs> uh, Tesla coil, so... Any listener, if you would like to send us $4 so that we can make this experiment, you can go to <laughs> patreon.com slash the ESP and, and find out how you support us. Hey, if anyone is actually doing that, sending us these $4, then mm -hmm. I will buy one of these and I will put it on my forehead for five minutes at QED. <laughs> mm. Oh, okay, good. So, but we need to have a control group. I can be the control group. I will refuse to do it, and we will see after the five minutes who who has, has done more. best. Yeah, yeah, who's right. more oh, relaxed? Fuck. Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, maybe some more serious <laughs> mm -hmm. topic now, but it's still about pseudo scientific treatments. WHO, the World Health Organization, has been the subject on this podcast a number of times due mm -hmm. to their constant support of alternative medicine. Uh, we have given them two really wrong awards for this, 
and actually a third one for for totally other different reasons. So they mm-hmm. are getting up there in the in the ranking. Mostly, the WHO has been famous for promoting TCM, which we mentioned, traditional Chinese medicine, but also Ayurveda and other similar nonsense, I would say. I would call it nonsense. And they are at it again. This last week, WHO organized what they called its, quote, first WHO traditional medicine global summit, end quote, in a place called Gandhinagar in India. And I'm very sorry if I butchered that, and I'm sure (laughs) I did. But there you go. This is the place where they last year set up a global center for traditional medicine. Unbelievable. WHO has such a center. They call it, quote, a knowledge hub with a mission to catalyze ancient wisdom and modern science for the health and well-being of people and the planet, end quote. And about this actual summit, this this conference that they had, they say, quote, traditional medicine can play an important and catalytic role in achieving the goal of universal health coverage, end quote. And then they say, quote, bringing traditional medicine into the mainstream of healthcare can help bridge access gaps for millions of people around the world. It would be an important step toward people-centered and holistic approaches to health and well-being, end quote. Uh, so they do mention, quote, scientific evidence somewhere in there, but there are so many red flags in the, in the language that they're using. Ancient wisdom is one of them. No doubt a lot of treatments were discovered and used before evidence-based medicine or science-based medicines were around. Mm-hmm. And some of them even worked, of course, and they had a positive effect. But it was all hit and miss because it wasn't scientific. And lots of these treatments or modalities uh, lived on and still live on to this day, despite lacking reasonable evidence. And we know as skeptics how easy it is to get the impression that something works because of things like confirmation bias or regression to the mean and lots of those things. A classic example, which is not from the WHO, but from our past here in Europe, and I think in many parts of the world, is bloodletting. Mm-hmm. It was used for centuries until we realized that if you analyze statistically the data of what, what's going on here, it was in fact harmful. Because if, <laughs> yeah. It's a very good example, because if you have a person that is delirious and is maybe unruly and it's hard to handle for the doctor, and you, you empty them on a liter of blood or so, then they calm down, obviously. And they become much easier to handle. And you, as a doctor say, okay, very good. It seems to be working. The thing is that what you're doing is you're exhausting them so that they have an even less chance to recover. Anyway, so you can be fooled very easily by these things. Mm -hmm. Another red flag that they mention is the term holistic approach. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) So this is a very common trope. It's a myth, actually. That, that science-based medicine does not consider, quote, the whole patient. That's an absolute fabrication. Not only does a good medical doctor consider all aspects of a patient before prescribing anything, but also traditional practitioners very often don't. 
So uh, total fabrication that traditional medicine would cons- it would be more holistic, quote mm-hmm. unquote, than, than modern medicine. Mm-hmm. It's also pretty funny that uh, if you think about it, that holistic is always written with an H and not with a W. Ah, yeah, <laughs> so it's it's right. like a, a whole, you know, <laughs> it's a whole approach. <laughs> Holistic. Okay, that's another. <laughs> Maybe I've misinterpreted the whole thing. <laughs> okay, in the week building up to this conference that happened last week, WHO started to promote the event. And also actually promoting traditional medicine itself on X, or should we call it Twitter? It's still Twitter to me, but it's not called yeah, X. It will always be Twitter to us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are boomers, or I am a boomer. So <laughs> I'm a anyway, boomer in heart. <laughs> <laughs> so we still call it tweets, right? So one of these tweets was hashtag tradition, and this is the WHO. So really not. Hashtag traditional medicine is rooted in indigenous knowledges and natural resources of communities. It has been an integral resource for health in households for centuries. WHO works to strengthen the evidence base of traditional medicine, enhancing its safety and efficacy. End quote. Right. Okay. <laughs> Can I put you on the spot here, Annika, and, and, and ask you to point out a few logical fallacies that they are? Um, employing or is it sure sure no it's like uh, my first thought was that i'm all for indigenous rights but everything that worked out of that uh, alternative medicine is medicine now yes that's true that's true so like i'm I'm all for people like still living their culture but it's, it's also important to like not endanger the life of yourself or your children or your neighbor or whoever Mm-hmm. With, with malpractice. And oh, there are so many more things. Like, for example, that a lot of so-called alternative medicine is not centuries old. That's true. Take homeopathy, for example. People are always like, A, it's natural. It's not natural. Like, it's not purple or anything. And B, that although it's ancient, it's not ancient. It was invented, uh, like, I think just over a century ago. So That's true. I mean, also... Uh, one common thing, especially in in, mm-hmm. in traditional Chinese medicine, is acupuncture. That's said to be thousands of years old, mm-hmm. but in its modern form, it is not at all that old. It's a hundred years old, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Because you can think for yourself that there wasn't the technology to manufacture the type of needles that we use today. Mm-hmm. So even if you refer to ancient texts, they were doing something totally different. Yeah. But anyway, that example is uh, the appeal to tradition. Just mm-hmm. because something is old, it has to be good. And that is one thing that they are implying here. It's for centuries. Yeah, and, well, they put, uh, also put goat poop on, on uh, cuts. Yeah. So, yeah. There so, you go. So, just because, <laughs> so the appeal to tradition is that just because something is old, it has to be good. And it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. true or good just because it's old. It could be. It doesn't exclude it, but mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be. So that's the appeal to tradition. Another thing here is the appeal to nature, that, mm-hmm. that something is natural. Yeah. The indigenous knowledges, natural resources. That's what they're talking about mm-hmm. here. And again, something that is natural can be very good for you, but it doesn't have to be. And it has nothing to do with that it is natural. It's not the natural thing that makes it good. And then it, well, you can also put in that there's an appeal to popularity. It, lots of people mm. are using these th- uh, things, these modalities, and have been 
So, so that's because it's popular, it has to be true. But it, that's not the case either. You t- talk about bloodletting <laughs> again. It was very popular mm-hmm. for a long time. And it turned out not to be there. But it doesn't even end there with logical fallacies. Let's revisit the last sentence again. WHO works to strengthen the evidence base of traditional medicine, enhancing its safety and efficacy. So note that it doesn't say we shall look if there is evidence Mm -hmm. or if there is safety or efficacy. They say they should strengthen the evidence base that is already there and the safety that's already there and the efficacy that's already there. So they've already decided that there is evidence based and mm-hmm. that it is safe and that it has efficacy. And now they have decided that they will prove that it's even better than that. <laughs> we will that's bend the saying. signs until it says what we want to say. <laughs> yeah. So that is WHO, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, <laughs> this is, I mean, we say this uh, often that it is a very important organization. They do a lot of very, mm-hmm. very good work. But they have this tendency to romanticize and to fall for traditional medicine, alternative medicine. And it is, it's even worse when someone that is very often scientifically mm-hmm. based also then sometimes goes this way because then how can you tell what is what? Yeah, it's, it's a bit like the Nobel Prize winners that go into this Nobel Prize hubris. Like, yeah, yeah you, you just like, oh, but he's usually right. So maybe he's he's right now. Yeah. So totally, totally true. I still have to make one joke, Pontus, because you said oh, X or Twitter. And if they're still called tweets. And I thought we should now refer to tweets as X files. <laughs> yes, it's the X files. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Just as much connection to reality as the TV show. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I now want to be a smart ass and quote our admired Edzard Ernst, who published a blog post about where skeptics often go wrong when commenting on so-called alternative medicine and what should be done about it. Ooh. And I found that really interesting because I have done that in the past. I will try to not do it again, but I'll, I'll just uh, tell you what it is. So Edzard Ernst says he likes skeptics. They have taught him a lot. Uh, he's thankful for it, but he's also irritated when skeptics comment on so-called alternative medicine or also abbreviated scam. He says when skeptics comment on scam, they're often wrong or not quite correct. The typical scenario is a skeptic discusses a form of scam and explains there's no evidence to it. And he says this statement is almost invariably false. He says there is evidence on almost all forms of scam. It may not be positive, but there's evidence. Ah. So if you say there's no evidence, this is wrong. And he uses the example of cupping, which is the thing where you put something like a cup on the skin and create a vacuum so it sucks in the skin a bit. He said he watched a video where someone, a skeptic, explains the history of cupping, how it's done, that there's no plausible mode of action, and that there's no evidence on it. And he said, as it earns says, there is substantial body of evidence in terms of clinical trials, systematic reviews, and so on. So he said, well, cupping is just an example here. Uh, he's not defending therapists, and the evidence there is, is absolutely not convincing. But there is evidence. (laughs) So he said, when you comment on a scam or anything else, please check the evidence. 
because more often than not, you will find that there is a lot of evidence, but you can always conclude that the evidence is of poor quality, that the evidence is negative, that the evidence is suspect, and so on and so on. So mm. there is no evidence is, is wrong and it's irritating for Ed's and Ernst. <laughs> and it's also, yeah, it, it's, it makes us vulnerable because it gives promoters the legitimization to point out that we are badly informed. No, I, I agree with him mm -hmm. to a point, but I also want to push back a little bit because when we say there is no evidence, yeah. what we mean, what is implied There's is... There's no positive evidence. There is no good evidence that it works. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a language thing, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a shortcut to say mm -hmm. something. And of course, we, we need to make sure that we are always mm -hmm. very clear in what we yeah. mean. But, it's like a uh, bit like mathematically inaccurate, so to say, <laughs> mm, the mm. sentence, yeah. Mm. So, um, with that bit of discussion out of the way, <laughs> mm -hmm. we are concluding the new segment. And that means we should find out who has been really wrong this week. This week, I will give the really wrong award to something that I wouldn't have thought I would ever give it to. Maybe, maybe I would. <laughs> But, <laughs> um, yeah, there's a new study out or a trial out, in The Lancet. The Lancet, for those who don't know, is one of the oldest and reputable <laughs> medical magazines of the world. They are pretty well known. I think I heard it pretty often that, like, oh, it was published in The Lancet. So it definitely has a reputation. They now published a pragmatic superiority open-label randomized controlled trial of sleep restriction therapy versus sleep hygiene. Here they have adults with insomnia disorder randomly assigned to either a sleep hygiene booklet only or four sessions of nurse-delivered sleep restriction therapy plus this booklet. Mm -hmm. There was no restriction on usual care for either group and the outcomes were assessed at three months, six months and 12 months. The primary endpoint was self-reported insomnia severity at six months, measured with the insomnia severity index. The first thing I usually get hung up with is self-reported. Yeah. Because we know that that can be wildly inaccurate. Then they include participants according to their allocated group and so on and so on. I don't want to get into too much detail here because we're not in the news segment anymore. But the authors conclude that the nurse-delivered sleep restriction therapy reduces insomnia symptoms, is cost-effective, and has the potential to be widely implemented. But the thing is that one group had a lot of attention with the, with the nurse and the, the control group did not. So we already know there could be even a placebo effect determining the outcome. Which might help in regards of insomnia, don't get me wrong. But they don't discuss any of that. It wouldn't need to be like sleep restriction therapy, even if it's just a therapy session or a sports session, whatever. <laughs> as long as you have the, the placebo effect in there, they should discuss that. So there, there is the limitation of, of the control group. And the effects are, because it's self-reported, significantly influenced or can even completely determine the outcome. 
So they did not discuss that, but they say uh, we did a definitive test of whether brief sleep restriction therapy delivered in primary care is clinically effective and cost effective. So that means this is very misleading and unworthy of The Lancet. So for not really going up to their own reputation and for also not not, uh, discussing the limitations of the trial, the authors of the trial and also the Lancet received this week's prize for being really wrong. Mm. Yeah, well, it, it happens sometimes. We should remember mm-hmm. that Andrew Wakefield's report about uh, the MMR mm-hmm. vaccine and the link of that to autism, which turned out not to be a case, and it was a fraudulent report. Mm-hmm. For, it was published in The Lancet. And to publish it by the Lancet was probably not the the big problem there, Mm -hmm. but they took a very long time to react and admit that they should Mm -hmm. uh, retract it. So so even the Lancet can do wrong sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, so now we know who received the prize, and I now, of course, want to find out, is there a word of the week, Pontus? Yes, there is. And it is a fantastic one because it is in Danish. Mm-hmm. And Danish is a fascinating language, especially for Nordic-speaking <laughs> uh, people because we, under, me and most of my <laughs> fellow Swedes and Norwegians, if you can read and write and, and talk Swedish or Norwegian, you could read Danish pretty well. But when it comes to pronouncing it, it is very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. There is very little correlation between the pronunciation and the spelling in Danish. It has moved away from the spelling so much that it's very hard. So I have this very interesting word, and I will try to pronounce it myself first, but then I will have a professional <laughs> recording of it as well. Mm-hmm. The word is vol. <laughs> Try to spell that. Uh, well, Annika, you can see in the show notes how, yeah. <laughs> how I'm the spelling it. The funny thing it, is, but... like, how it's spelled. I would have pronounced it froffel. <laughs> froffel. Yeah, froffel would make more sense, actually. <laughs> so, uh, for listeners who can't see the spelling like you can, Annika, it is spelled V-R-O with a dash through it. V-L. So, vrovl. But it's pronounced vrol or something. I, maybe I should just play the vrol. Recorded by a Danish person. Here we go. Vrøvl. Vrøvl. <laughs> yeah. Once more. Vrøvl. That is um, the word. So what does it mean? It means uh, nonsense and gibberish. Oh, that's which awesome. Is actually, it's a good illustration of the word, actually. That's so good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah. So uh, if you <laughs> if you come across the word vrøvl, in Danish, you know that it's just nonsense or, or gibberish. And it is a noun, and it's constructed from the verb vrøvle, <laughs> <laughs> which means, of course, to speak incoherently, illogically, and without sense, end quote. And I'm not saying that all Danish people do this. This is illustration of one word only. <laughs> it's not a reflection of the whole language. But uh, I think you see what I'm. It's <laughs> awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Pontus. That that is really heartwarming. <laughs> <laughs> so that basically already concludes our show. 
but of course I don't want to let anyone go without a quote. And this week, I have a bit of a poem for you by Ooh. Alfred Noyes, who was born 1880 and died 1958, British poet, short story writer and playwright. And here is the poem. And of course, it has something to do with, with this episode. And Pontus, you can find out what it has to do with this episode. So, mm -hmm. did Newton, dreaming in his orchard there, beside the dreaming with him, see the moon? burn like a huge gold apple in the boughs and wonder why should moons not fall like fruit end quote ah yeah very good <laughs> so uh, we don't often have uh, poems or poetry in this uh, podcast maybe we should do that a little yeah, bit more yeah. so if newton he was dreaming there about the apple mm -hmm. that fell <laughs> to the ground did he wonder why the moon did not And I'm, I'm, I'm sure he did, and I think he actually explained it mm -hmm. quite well. But it was part of the same piece of science. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I just loved that one, and of course, it's, it's going back to Twish with the moon hoax. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, but you see that you can combine poetry with science. Yeah, I love that. I love that actually. So we, you will hear more of that uh, <laughs> in the future. <laughs> I hope. <Ooh. laughs> if I can find more quotes like that. So that really concludes our show. Thank you, Pontus, for doing this episode with me. Thanks a lot. Thanks to Andras for coming back, please. <laughs> <laughs> And thanks to our listeners for coming back week after week. We couldn't do this without you. So until next week, goodbye. Hello. Tschüss. Wie slat. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Conversation, conversation, haha, conversation, nay, that's why it's wrong. Um, sorry, I just have to mute that tab actually because it's opening all these ads. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. Okay.